The Offside Rule, we get it, with Lindsay Hooper and Kate Borsay. Hello and welcome to The Offside Rule, episode 27 of 29, just two more to go. Um, I am joined in the studio today by Kate Borsay and Natalie Sawyer returns. Thank you very much for joining us again, Natalie. Absolute pleasure. I'm delighted to be here. Good to have you. Now, we'll run through a few things with you in a second, but quickly, just to give an agenda of topics that people know what's coming up. We're going to start off talking happy ever after. We all saw the FA Cup final win for Wigan and Dave Whelan was absolutely thrilled. A man that had broken his leg in 1960 and then sees his team lift the trophy. So it's a happy ever after tale and we'll be talking about a couple of our favourite examples, one from here, one from abroad. Uh, Well, going back in Fergie time, it's nothing to do with added time. We're just going back over players that have played underneath Fergie under his 26-year tenure and our favourite choices. So I want a goalkeeper, four defenders and four midfielders each and two strikers, please. We'll have a quick FAWSL roundup. And then finally, a Fergie distraction is our topic three. So Sir Alex Ferguson's retirement, David Moyes then moving to Manchester United and a couple of other retirements along the way have made lots of headlines, which means that for other clubs and other sporting footballing stories, it's a great time to bury bad news, I guess, or just hide a story in the press. I've asked you to research three each. Twitter topic of the week this week has a Fergie theme. Surprise, surprise. And also, Rhiannon has a La Liga roundup. Uh, this week, a very special guest on there. I think the word special is quite key in that. <laughs> so we'll start, ladies, by just having a bit of reaction to all of the different stories that have been going on. I don't know how we're <laughs> going to get through this. This could take up a podcast in its own right. Um, first of all, a reflection on the FA Cup final. Wigan, the underdogs, it really was a fairy tale, wasn't it? It absolutely was. And I'm so chuffed for Wigan and for Dave Whelan as well. What a fantastic performance from Wigan's Callum McManaman, who, of course, was so criticised, wasn't he, for that uh, awful t- tackle earlier in the season. Man of the match performance for me. He was close to unplayable, I think. Such a fantastic display on the wing. And it was so funny, you know, because when there was just under 10 minutes to go, I saw Ben Watson standing on the sidelines and I did think to myself, I wonder if he knows that he could potentially put his name down in FA Cup folklore by coming on and doing something wonderful. It was everything to play for at that point. Of course, both teams desperately didn't want to go to extra time, particularly because of the fixture run-in for Wigan as they tried to save their season, which we know obviously didn't happen. But as he was stood there, I thought, you know, does he know what could potentially happen? And he came on and he did it, didn't he? Scored in extra time. What a fantastic story for him and for Wigan as well. And I'm I'm so upset for them. It's such a double-edged sword now that they've gone down. I loved a few of the headlines as well where they said Crown Prince because they're saying that he looks like Prince Harry. And I didn't quite see that. Ben Watson, Prince Harry. But a couple of papers going with that. It must be uncanny in training. Uh, Nat, what did you think of the, the whole FA Cup final? Well, first of all, on the, on the Crown Prince thing, I mean, obviously, Ginger, that's it. That's as, that's as close as it gets, isn't it? But I mean, you know. Uh, yeah, exactly. I think anyone Ginger is always going to be Prince Harry, isn't he? Um, I mean, it was just fantastic. I was working here uh, at Sports News, obviously, for the first half. And so it was great to be able to sort of see it um, and, and think, my goodness, Wigan could create history here, especially 
Ashley is no one gave them a chance uh, before kickoff, did they? I mean, the, even the bookies were offering ridiculous odds, weren't they, at, at some stage? Even Leon Blanche of Boyle Sports offered Jim White 18 to 1 for Wigan oh, to win, no. which I think Jim took. So, um, yeah, not bad. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm delighted that Wigan won. It's always nice to see an underdog come through. Um, bearing in mind what's happened since for their season, it's just nice that at least they'll, they'll go down being a, an FA Cup winner and they'll be in Europe next season which is fantastic as well. Yeah, playing in Europe and playing in the Championship. My, my quick note on it was that I just thought they thoroughly deserved it. I didn't think that they were under par compared to Manchester City. In fact, I thought they kick for kick perhaps even had the slight edge on Manchester City. There were a couple of marvellous chances that City had. I mean, the Tevez one in particular that Joel saved I thought was, it was a key moment in the game. I think had Wigan slipped a goal behind maybe their heads would have dropped a little mm. bit. But a brilliant, brilliant result. Uh, we'll go on to so many other things. So let's talk about the Premier League. So in relegation, of course, Wigan have gone down. We've talked about that now. That was confirmed this week. Um, Arsenal just looking very strong. And that is the only thing that's left to decide now, really, is the the, the Champions League places. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we had a discussion about this a couple of podcasts ago. And I I actually said Tottenham to finish in, in fifth. So at the moment, I'm on course. But it could go down to this weekend. Chelsea at the moment, of course, safe. So between Arsenal and Spurs... One of the rivalries that we love in North London. Um, what are you thinking? Where is it, where is it going to go? Well, obviously, Arsenal have that one point advantage, don't they? So you can't see them slipping up, can you, Arsenal, really? Um, taking on Newcastle and, and Tottenham taking on Sunderland. You expect both sides to win, so you think it's just going to come down to that one point. What is interesting is is what happens if Chelsea draw and Arsenal win by two clear goals... They'll be level on points with Chelsea Arsenal, level goal difference, level goal scored. What happens then? There's mm. there's talking there could be a playoff for third spot. No. That's what they're talking about, which would be fascinating if it came down yeah. to that. I, I I mean I doubt it will, but imagine if that is an extra spice that's added to the uh, to the Premier League season that we have to have an extra game to decide who finishes third and fourth. And let's also talk about the the championship semi-final um, playoffs. Uh, what an what an absolute humdinger of a game um, so I am going to say I did say what for Crystal Palace didn't I <laughs> is this just a gloating I Lindsay Hooper no. podcast or what come I, on back off I just it. had my Mystic Meg hat on that day but um, I did feel with the Crystal Palace Brighton um, fixture that although Brighton have been so good under Gus Poyet I just thought Ian Holloway's experience in the playoffs and in the championship would prove would prove good and it did but the Watford game in particular had me on the edge of my seat so of course in the final it is going to be what for Crystal Palace I just wanted to get both of your takes on what you think might happen your predictions starting with Kate I don't know the momentum is with Crystal Palace now isn't it and you can't deny Ian Holloway's experience you can't deny Saha's wanting to end the season on a high um, I just wonder how what he thinks by the way the fact that he's not going to have Fergie as his manager next season anyway I digress Oh, I just can't call it. I just can't call it. I just think maybe if it's Crystal Palace's day and the momentum stays with them, they might just clinch it. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I I have a feeling it could be Crystal Palace's uh, to win just because of Ian Holloway. Uh, And 
let's face it, we all love Ian Holloway. He's such a character and he'd be great to have him back in the Premier League. Although, having said that, I'd love to see Watford go up because they've they've been there so close to, to getting automatic, missing out, you know, just uh, by a win or two, isn't it, really? So, um, oh, it's so hard to call. I think, I think it's really difficult and really unfair of you to put us on this spot, Lindsay. <laughs> well, I didn't just do it to you. I actually spoke to Stan Collymore this week about it as well and about Watford in particular. I thought he made a really good point because I said, I, I worry for Watford if they do go up just with all the loan deals but he said to me well actually Lindsay if you look at it that the options on the players the loans that they've got they can be made permanent so there is a squad potentially in place there um, certainly people like Vidra who have played really well for Watford if they do go up I think they will just cement their services for next season so it'll be interested if they do but I've got a feeling Holloway might do it I'm going Crystal Palace. Um, Well, we'll go on to Natalie's beloved Brentford. Um, So we'll go through this. I don't want to do the whole, this is what I predicted, but I did predict... I did predict Brentford Yeovil, didn't I? Didn't I? Come on. Honestly, folks, I'm going to struggle to get Lindsay Hooper out of the room. It's turned into a gloat fest. So let's start with League Two, and because that comes first on Saturday. Bradford versus Northampton. I did think that Bradford would go on a good run. I didn't see Northampton sticking in there, but you did, Kate Borsay. Thank God I get to take the floor, Natalie, because someone needs to put their tuppence in before Lindsay Hooper predicts the rest of the scores correctly for the whole of next season. Uh, Yes, I did say that Northampton were going to do it. They've got experience uh, in the leagues above, and I, I... I just thought that that experience coupled with A.D. Boothroyd was going to see them through. I have to say, this intrigues me, the League Two final, just because I I didn't, even though Bradford did so well in the League Cup final and and getting to the League Cup final, I I just, in a way, I thought maybe they'd tail off a little bit just because of all that fun that they had in in the League Cup. Um, Goodness me, who's going to win this one? I wouldn't be surprised if if the experience of Boothroyd helps Northampton through. Um, although having said that, Bradford, of course, having had the Wembley experience already, they'll want to put that right, certainly this time around. And that's what I'm going with. I think the Wembley experience, they had a taste for it. They, they didn't obviously lift silverware on that occasion. This time, very much more within their hands. The opposition are within their league. They're a team that they know they can beat on the day. And of course, Northampton don't have that experience from early this season to draw on. So I think they'll really be up for it, Bradford. And I'm going for a marginal win, but I do think it will be close. Let's go for League One. And it's Brentford against Yeovil uh, on Sunday. Nat, how are the nerves? <laughs> it's one of those things where if I don't think about it, it's fine. But as soon as it gets brought up, I'm just like, oh my goodness. I can't I can't wait, I have to say. I, I, I don't know what it is. that This season, all Brentford fans have just felt this is our season. Very special indeed. Of course, we all thought we might go up via uh, automatic with that Doncaster game, the last game of the season, which we don't like to talk about. But we've all moved on pretty quickly. And, you know, the Swindon playoff two legs were, were both exciting. We never do it the easy way, Brentford. <laughs> we like to give all the fans heartache um, and, and heart attacks even. Um, I... I just feel there is a destiny about it. We haven't got a good playoff record. We don't do very well when it comes to finals at Wembley or Cardiff. But I do feel that this could be our season. And that's how everyone is feeling, I have to say. Where would it rate for you then? Not to completely bock it, but if they make it up, where would it rate for you in your footballing autobiography? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, Well, I mean, the last time we played in this second tier, if you like, was in the 92-93 
season when obviously the Premier League came around. So we were Division Three champions, but went up to Division One when it all changed. Uh, we, we got relegated straight away. So this to me probably would be the best because I would remember it now because I don't really remember the, the early 90s so much um, and I wouldn't have called I, even though I was a Brentford fan I wouldn't really have thought of myself as a Brentford fan as much as I would would now so this would this would be the, the icing on the cake the pinnacle of, of being a fan I think for Brentford reaching the championship and also seeing all those clubs that are in the championship now it's just so exciting Well they've certainly given us lots of uh, excitement and it's been full of drama the story so whether you're a neutral or a Brentford fan I think everyone's appreciated the run that they've been on what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to do a prediction <laughs> because actually just in honour of having you here I don't want to do that so we'll leave the League One playoff final and see what happens Is that because you've got a feeling yeah, in your waters that's not good news for Natalie <laughs> Sawyer because we know that you've been pretty bang on with your prediction hoops and I can only think that by not giving a prediction you've got a horrible feeling <laughs> All I would say is I really want Brentford to win There we are um, OK let's talk about Rooney rumours uh, you know what there's so much more to get through Rooney okay let's talk about Ferguson retiring Rooney suddenly uh, being left out in that last game at Old Trafford is he going to be at Manchester United one of the parting words that Sir Alex Ferguson has left us with is yes he will we're not going to let him go he's obviously now had confessed though that a transfer request has gone in Chelsea one of the clubs to be linked with Rooney I can't believe this another time I can't believe why I think it's the arrival of RVP I don't think he's playing in a position that he wants to anymore and I don't think he feels that the spotlight's on him but from a football fan's point of view if I was a Manchester United fan I wouldn't be bothered about losing Rooney and I know there's so many people that would say that he's such a top class player and he is and he would get into the starting lineup of, of any of the top four Premier League teams I believe however his fitness is a little bit of an issue for me I, I can see his fitness going downhill uh, when you when you hear all the rumours underneath what's been going on the last couple of seasons I actually think would Chelsea be a good fit I think he'll move abroad if he goes anywhere. I don't think Manchester United would let him go to another English Premier League side. Tottenham are desperate for a striker, aren't they? But would they miss him? I think RVP is perhaps enough and and, and with a, Hernandez as well is, has been dying to get more play and I thought that Hernandez and RVP was a potential link-up that could happen. Yeah, and don't forget Danny Welbeck as well. You know, yeah. He's an emerging talent as well and, and the only thing I might consider is the fact that David Moyes is now becoming the, the Manchester United manager. Having worked with Rooney, maybe he'll have a word with him over the summer and try and convince him to stay, bearing in mind all the changes that are happening. And you obviously Rooney would have made his decision before knowing that, that Fergie was leaving. Links to Chelsea, you never know. He is best friends with Ashley Cole, so there's potential there. I don't, I don't know. I can't see him going to Chelsea, though, I have to say. And I, I would expect him to move abroad if he's going to go anywhere. But then... Will his family want to move abroad? I don't know. It's a tough one, isn't it? His Mrs. Colleen is very much a home bird. I think she would struggle if he went abroad. By the way, I've just got this image of Ashley Cole and Wayne Rooney sort of holding hands and exchanging <laughs> football stickers in a, in a kind of a bezzy mates kind of way. I didn't realise that they were, they were such strong friends. Um, one thing I would add into that as well, of course, Moyes and Rooney have got previous. Uh, Moyes took Rooney to court for comments that Rooney made uh, in his autobiography and there was a payout to Moyes. Rooney claimed Moyes had released details of a private conversation between the two to a newspaper and Moyes said, well, no, I didn't. And obviously, you'd have to make your own mind up as to what you think the outcome was because of the payout. Do you think that Wayne Rooney is enamoured with the fact that David Moyes is coming to Everton? I don't think he is. It will be an interesting turn of events uh, to see what happens. 
ultimately, though, if a player for a second time has put in a transfer request, Mm -hmm. I think it's time to show them the door. If they don't want to play and they don't want to put that shirt on, then let them go. And, of course, the fans are becoming indifferent towards Mm. him. He got booed, didn't he, at the parade. Mm. Uh, You're probably right. It's probably time for the club to say, you know, you're not bigger than the club. It's time for you to move Mm. on. And they've done that many times, haven't they, United? Okay, um, we'll move to a player who absolutely lives and breathes for his club and playing in the shirt. Uh, Frank Lampard getting the record. Absolutely brilliant achievement for him in his career. And I'm so pleased that he did it this season because it seems like that might have just been the clinching point to getting an extension, a contract extension for next season. I can't believe that it wasn't even tied up earlier than this, but with Mourinho looking like he's coming back to Stamford Bridge, I can't see Lampard going anywhere and it'd be great to see him just see out his career at the club that he's obviously given such great service to. I think so, and he's not only levelled Bobby Tambling's record, but he's beaten it as well. I wouldn't agree with you that beating that record would have would have you know potentially clinched a contract extension. I think that, that, um, that the pressure behind Chelsea to reward Award Frank Lampard for his loyalty, but also for his form. He's been one of the most informed Premier League players. It would be mm. a ridiculous decision to get rid of him. And I know we've covered this before, but it still completely annoys me. If Mourinho comes in, then of course I can see uh, Lampard staying. <laughs> Ultimately, though, if you were Frank Lampard and you'd been shown, and I'm going to use a strong word here, the disloyalty by your club not to want to invest in you for another year, would you be enamoured with staying? I mean, I know he's, you know, he, he is Chelsea. He wants to, he wants to, and Ashley Cole and, and, and Frank Lampard were the two players to have question marks over them. And Chelsea were very quick to, to award Ashley Cole with another contract. They didn't do the same for Lampard. I think if, as we expect, Jose Mourinho comes in as the uh, manager of Chelsea again, he only has to say there are 203 reasons as to why Frank Lampard should be given a new contract. Simple as. Uh, and also the fact that we know that Lampard, Terry, great great friends with Mourinho. They love him. He loves them. So I think if Mourinho does come in, we will expect Lampard to stay. Um, I do think it's a shame that they haven't come out and said we want him to stay because of who he is. He is a legend. He's gone down in history. It's only right, really, that they do offer him a contract, I think. But you know, who are we? We're not managers, we're not chairmen, we're not club owners or anything like that. So um, it's a funny business, isn't it, sometimes, football? OK, we'll, make, we'll do a brief mention that obviously Scholes has retired and what a career he's had. I don't think there's much more to say, just a great way to bow out. And we will also quickly talk Mancini sacking. So Moyes going over to Manchester United from Everton leaves a gap there. Martinez maybe now that Wigan have gone down. But I guess that's all been put to one side because with Mancini being sacked, mm. the job that every Everyone's talking about who's going to go to Manchester City. It's looking like it's Pellegrini. I'm going to start with you, Nat, because you'll know more about this from Sky Sports News. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Pellegrini, obviously the favourite. We had Guillaume Balaguer on yesterday. He was talking about how great a manager he is. Um, The fact that not only is he good at dealing with the first team, but he likes to have overall control. And obviously that's what City want. They want that holistic approach that they've spoken about now. Um, So, yeah, I mean... (sighs) Pellegrini definitely seems to be uh, the favourite. But, you know, we can't discount other people. And and we even had Andy Hinchcliffe on yesterday saying, you know, who wouldn't be surprised if someone like Rafa Benitez uh, came in? Because at the end of the day, he might not be liked by Chelsea fans, but he's done a really good job, hasn't he, this year uh, at Chelsea, getting them to the Europa League final, getting them into the Champions League uh, for next season. So, you know... 
don't don't be uh, surprised if we see a surprise name there. I just don't think Benitez fits with Manchester City. I just, I just, I just, I just don't think that the owners will want to hire him. And I, I hate to say this, from a PR angle, I think that it would automatically cause unrest amongst the players. Who will fill that spot? Well, it's still anyone's guess. I'm not completely convinced by the trophy haul that Manuel no. Pellegrini's. Um, well, he. He hasn't really hauled anything at all, has he? <laughs> we'll leave it there, I think. Uh, let's go on to our actual topics. We've had a lot of discussion there, but there was so much to get through. So hopefully you've enjoyed listening to all our musings on all the topics from this week. Uh, remember, you can follow us at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter. Uh, the podcast comes out every single Thursday on SoundCloud and iTunes. And we have a Facebook page too. Uh, let's get into topic one then. Happy ever after. We're starting with the FA Cup final. Uh, Dave Whelan saw his beloved Wigan and beat last season's England champions Manchester City, partly why Mancini lost his job I think, to lift the FA Cup. It was a tale of the underdogs triumphing and it was made even more poetic as Whelan had broken his leg in the 1960 final at Wembley. He can banish those painful memories and replace them with ones of jubilation. So I wanted you to give me another fairy tale story of a club, player or manager finding some poetic justice in football. Um, I wanted two examples if possible. We'll go through these fairly quickly. One example from the English League and one from abroad. I'm going to start with Natalie. Well, mine's quite recent. You only have to go back to Monday night. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> how sweet it must have been for Cameron McGeehan uh, when Norwich's under-18s beat Chelsea in the final of the Youth Cup. Only two years before uh, McGeehan was released by Chelsea. He scored in the first leg at Norwich in front, by the way, of 21,500 fans, which I think is incredible for a Youth Cup game, uh, before again scoring at Stamford Bridge uh, to help Norwich to that victory. And the fact that he was captaining the side must have made it even sweeter for him. Uh, so I think that's a, a lovely little tale for Cameron McGeehan. And my abroad one, well... This is a little bit of a tale, but uh, born to a factory steel worker, uh, father that is, and a part-time cleaner mother. As a youngster, his local club showed an interest in him, but of course he was diagnosed with a growth problem mm. and his career looked to be over before it had begun, uh, with that particular local club unwilling to pay for treatment for his condition. Yet, he had a great talent and it hadn't gone unnoticed by a giant club in Europe let's say <laughs> and they were willing to pay for his medical bills so that youngster from Rosario decided to move from Argentina oh. to Spain where he went on to win just six La Liga titles three <laughs> Champions League trophies and no doubt will end his career as one of the greatest players of all time, all time. and that of course is Lionel Messi Brilliant. Love that. I do love that story. I really do. Shall I move on to mine? Yes. Uh, so my one from abroad, the World Cup final in 2010. Holland meets Spain. Spain with their pretty football. Holland had played well up to that point, but little did we know what we were going to get from them in the final. In other words, a bunch of dirty tricks. <laughs> They played dirty, didn't they, in that final. Um, nine yellow cards and one sending off sums up how dirty the Dutch played in, in that final. But Spain held on with their tiki-taki football, tried to avoid as many of the Dutch tackles as possible. And I lost a load of respect for the Dutch team, actually, yeah. because, it, you know, it was not sportsmanlike, was it? And it was poetic justice for Spain, who stuck with the beautiful game and per 
persevered and it paid off uh, with a goal from Iniesta in extra time and football won on that day. Um, the Dutch even tried to blame Howard Webb yeah. for the result. And it's like, oh, come on, not only have you played the final dirty, but you've also decided to blame the poor old English referee, Howard also, Webb. Also poetic justice, by the way, for Vicente Del Bosque, who, of course, had been sat by Real Madrid, hadn't he, after yes. winning so many uh, things with them and then going on to clinch the World Cup as well as the Euros. He's, he's done all right, hasn't he, since, since that sacking from Real? The boy did good, didn't he? Um, what's your other one? Uh, my other one is a tale of some chicken farmers <gasps> from India. Oh! oh. <laughs> Blackburn. <laughs> right. I thought we were all thinking, how did, it, how did this come good? <laughs> It didn't come good, but 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 it is still poetic justice, isn't it? So it still fits the fits the remit of your topic. Um, goodness gracious me! Well, I don't have to say too much about why I think it's poetic justice. Blackburn, have obviously, in the Premier League, uh, the Indian company Venkis, uh, they uh, took over, bought them for twenty three million pounds. They sacked Allardyce very very quickly. In came Steve Keane. We all know the hard time that that Steve Keane got, and really the lack of support from the board as well. Really. They, they didn't exactly come out supporting him wholeheartedly, did they? They just let him get on with it. And, you know, he must have his skin as thick as a walrus, as far as I'm concerned. Has he got his walrus has got thick skin? Yeah, <laughs> uh, Henenberg stepped in. Well, he lasted just under two months. Uh, then Michael Appleton came in. He lasted not much longer. Gary Bowyer's in, in, uh, in caretaker charge. Um, a lot of managers to work their way through. They got relegated from the Premier League, which I can remember because of that giant chicken which invaded the pitch. Do you remember? <laughs> They got relegated and in arrived a massive man-sized chicken on the pitch. They've been playing in the championship this season and they finished not far from the relegation spots, four points above the drop zone. It was looking incredibly dicey for them. That is a lesson learned. Before we get into talking about championship relegation, quickly moving on, um, we'll get to mine. Um, I'm going to go with my first one, an English example, Craig Bellamy. I mean, Manchester City pay most of his wages for him to go to Cardiff City, his home club, the, the place that he calls home. And he, of course, could have played for a side in the Premier League, but he decides to drop down to the Championship to try and get his team promoted. Um, and to have the opportunity, he said, to try and get your hometown club into the top flight, it was too big a pull. And to live at home whilst doing so was absolutely great. He said, I weighed everything up and everything kept coming back to here. I did set out in my career to play for Cardiff City. I'm at the top of my career at the moment, so why not do it now? That was his statement back then, mm -hmm. and we know what happened. Cardiff City are going to be playing in the Premier League, and what an achievement. I mean, his his tears on the pitch at the end, so mm -hmm. genuine, and you can just see it meant so much. So that was number one. And then going abroad, I'm going back in time as well, 2004. I know how much we like our Bundesliga. So a tiny village in Germany, they took on the best soccer clubs in the world by getting into Bundesliga football for the very first time. Um, it was with the help of millions of euros from a football mad patron, Dietmar Hopp. Um, the success about this was was just brilliant because it, you have all these fairy tale stories in football but not ones like this come around very often. It was a German village of Hoffenheim. They'd been promoted to the country's top scorer division into the Bundesliga and it was all fuelled by the millions that Dietmar Hopp ploughed into the club and it was great to see them just like 3,200 population taking on all the big teams in Germany. I do love a German name. You could have so much fun on the headlines, couldn't you, with Dietmar Hopp? 
<laughs> you could. Um, okay, we're going to go on to topic two. So going back in Fergie time, this should be a fairly quick one for us, girls, because I don't think we're going to disagree too much. Uh, looking back on Fergie's 26 years in charge at Manchester United, I'd like you to pick Fergie's best starting eleven during his time in charge. So I want a goalkeeper, four defenders, four midfielders and two strikers. I think we should just swap this around. So has anyone gone for anyone other than Schmeichel in goal? No. No. Yeah, I thought we'd be agreed on that one. Um, so defenders, um, who have you got in defence, Kate? I've got Gary Neville, Rio Ferdinand, Steve Bruce and Dennis Irwin. OK, almost the same as mine. Well, my defenders are Gary Neville, uh, Nemanja Vidic, just because I think he's proving to be a, a fantastic signing. A Yap Stam, because Alex admitted he regretted selling him. And Patrice Evra, because not only is he great in defence, but he likes to go forward. And that's perfect for me to see. <laughs> We've all gone slightly different. I went Irwin, Vidic, I went Nemanja Vidic as well, Ferdinand and Evra. Um, into midfield, um, who have you gone for, Natalie, across your, your middle four? Well, I think you can't deny Ryan Giggs, Paul Scholes, Roy Keane, who was just a fantastic captain, wasn't he? And Cristiano Ronaldo. Mm. I, I've got three of your four. I've got exactly the same as you, Nat. I, instead of going for Roy Keane, went for David Beckham. I just think in his days... Pretty as well. Pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Not just for the eye candy. Um, I, his delivery of, of, of set pieces... I've never seen a player pass the ball to precision like he did. In his time at Manchester United, I think he was brilliant. At Strikers, um, I think myself and Natalie have gone for the same. What have you gone for? King Eric, Cantona and Ruvan Nistroy. I have as well. And you've gone slightly different. I've gone King, King Eric and I've also gone Rooney as well because I'd love to see what would happen if you put Van Nistelrooy and Rooney in the same team because Rooney would have to up his game, wouldn't he? He slightly had to do with that RVP, hasn't he? He's had to do that, I guess. He's just thrown in a bit of a temper tantrum, but I don't think Cantona would let him get away with those no. antics. No, no, that's true. Um, well, we'd love to know your thoughts as well. So if you want to tweet us with your best ever starting 11s, then do so. Um, you can at, at Offside Rule Pod. And I understand you've got another starting 11 for us. I've just lifted this from the net, actually. Born after Fergie took charge, 11. So Fergie took charge in 86. David De Gea in goal, Raphael, Johnny Evans, Phil Jones, Alex Butner, Anderson, Cleverly, Powell, Shinji Kagawa, and then Danny Welbeck and Hernandez <laughs> up front. It's quite depressing isn't it? All born after 1986. Not only does it make Fergie feel old, it makes me feel old too. Well, as we're talking about Sir Alex Ferguson, which um, of course is a topic that's been on everyone's lips for the past fortnight, ever since the announcement. Um, the reason why we have Natalie here as well is that Hayley McQueen has been drafted. She's been in Manchester. Yeah, We've seen her doing all... Yeah, very busy. Um, so we haven't had her on the podcast for the last two weeks. However, I did ask her to give us some thoughts because she's worked with Fergie so many times when she was at Manchester United Television. She actually secured the last uh, written interview with him. Um, so it would be great to get her thoughts on Sir Alex Ferguson, especially being a Manchester United fan. So Hayley has got this for us. Hello, girls. I'm so sorry I'm not with you to record another Offside Rule podcast, but I have been ridiculously busy. It has been probably the maddest, most emotional, crazy week of my broadcasting career, all starting, as we know, on Wednesday with Sir Alex Ferguson announcing his retirement as Manchester United manager after 
after 26 and a half years. I've only ever known Sir Alex Ferguson as a Manchester United manager, as I'm sure many of you uh, have, or don't even remember the time before that, even if you were around, because we just think of Sir Alex Ferguson being Manchester United. I was born in Manchester, brought up here. My dad played for the club, but left just before uh, the great man took charge. My dad's a proud Scot as well, so he'll have been gutted not to have played under Sir Alex Ferguson. But I think uh, he, Gordon McQueen is his name, just in case you didn't know, is uh, delighted that David Moyes is taking over another Scotsman and Scots rule the world as we know. Well, they don't really, but they rule Manchester United at the moment. My week's been mental. I was on air throughout the day for five straight hours on Sky Sports News, breaking the news, bringing you all the tributes and reaction to uh, the shocking news that we found out. We'd heard rumours, I know, throughout the evening on Twitter, uh, coming from a couple of newspapers, one in particular, The Telegraph, with Mark Ogden, the journalist there, who was the first one to uh, put it into writing. So we had a bit of a heads up, but... Um, I didn't have a heads up about how crazy my week would be. I was then sent up to Manchester by Sky, where I was live throughout the day with the wind, the hail, the rain, the good old Manchester weather just causing havoc as we were trying to present from the northwest, bringing you all the best fans' reaction. Thursday moved on, of course, the story to managers who were getting ready for their press conferences. So we heard from uh, many of the great managers around the country paying their own tributes. Uh, heard from Arsene Wenger too, as well, which was quite nice. We know those two haven't uh, seen eye to eye over the years, but he had some uh, really lovely things to say about the boss. I don't think, well, there isn't anybody who has a bad word to say about him, is there really? But there have been over the years, but all that is forgotten when news like this happens. I presented the Victory Parade, which was just, I, I don't like to use the word unbelievable, because nothing should be unbelievable, but, but it was. The scenes of 1999, that treble winning season with uh, Andy Cole and Dwight York and Teddy Sheringham hanging over the open top bus with uh, the trophies heading up Dean's Gate. I didn't think we'd see scenes like that again, but we did. Ryan Giggs spoke actually when they arrived in Albert Square, where I was positioned with 50,000 uh, fans, not just Manchester United fans, but football fans as well. And he said it was one of the best victory parades he's ever seen. He said he think that topped the lot. And that is a man who's seen many, 13 uh, Premier League trophies, in fact. I presented the Manchester United End of Season Awards. I was at the game as well. Really emotional game with uh, Sir Alex Ferguson speaking from the heart about his reasons about retirement. Saturday, I was uh, back down in London working for the FA Club and uh, hosting the Manchester City versus Wigan game. Just full of surprises this week, wasn't it? I mean, that was just madness in itself. Driving back up the M6 with all the uh, Manchester City and Wigan fans, which meant I didn't get into my hotel room until half one in the morning, and I was bringing you live news at 7am from Old Trafford on Sunday. So you can imagine how tired I was, but just adrenaline pumping, just kind of keeping you going. And all the news of David Moyes as well trickling through. I'm about to host the Everton End of Season Award, so that'll be quite an interesting one to do. And also Manchester United end of season awards. We saw Michael Carrick get selected by the players as uh, their player of the year. Robin Van Persie won the fans votes and goal of the season as well for that absolute wonder strike against Aston Villa. One of his uh, hat-trick goals which secured Manchester United the Premier League title this season. So anyway, that was that. It's just been madness. I'm sure when I come back to join the Offside Rule podcast, I will bring you some of those stories and my memories of working underneath Sir Alex because of course I was anchor at MUTV for four seasons so was lucky enough to have interviewed the great man on many occasions um, 
my final lasting thought on Sir Alex will be the chat that he gave me for 24-7 Football Magazine. He was very kind enough to uh, give me some of his time one morning before training. He'd already been in for two hours as I was rocking up, feeling like it was still the middle of the night, of course, and told me that uh, for the first time that he'd announced this news, he was going to be um, moving upstairs as a director when that day came that he was to retire. Didn't realise he was going to be retiring just a couple of months uh, later after doing that interview back in February, I think it was. So um, I have great memories of Sir Alex Ferguson, great memories of Manchester United and have been truly honoured to have been part of a, of a week which has seen history being made yet again. But anyway, I'll leave you with that for now. I'll catch up with you girls soon and join you for another Offside Rule podcast where I'll uh, give you a few little stories of my many meetings with Sir Alex Ferguson. Bye. Thank you very much, Hayley. Uh, very busy bee at the moment, Hayley McQueen, up and down the country, spending so much time in Manchester. There's the Alex Ferguson retirement, and I know that it's really hit her hard. She's really going to miss him. Well, it's the end of an era, isn't it? And we've got guys working for our podcast who are Manchester United fans, and that's, you know, because... Of that era, if you wanted to support the top team, Manchester United were were the team to go for. So for a lot of our uh, guys who work with us, they've never known any other manager. And interestingly enough, and I love this little fact, uh, at the start of next season, three of the top four teams will be starting with a new manager. Anyway, let's change direction and talk FAWSL. Lindsay, you're right across this. Which game were you at last week? Well, I was at a Continental Cup game, so it was Arsenal versus Birmingham. And Birmingham were the in the driving seat, really, in the Continental Cup group uh, that Arsenal and, and Birmingham are both in and Arsenal with it all to do it was a really important game that they needed to win um, because it, it wasn't looking very safe for Arsenal to progress if they didn't get three points on the board so before the match speaking to David Parker the Birmingham boss he was like you know if we get a draw here today at Boreham Wood which would be an achievement away from home he'd be really happy they'd be sort of bossing the, the, the group and really in charge of things um, and at one point it looked like that was going to happen happened. Birmingham were 1-0 up. Um, Rachel Williams, I have to say, um, for me, is going to get the golden boot this season. Her finishing, she just knows where that goal is. Um, And it's very rarely that I see her skew one. You know, she's always on target and so often those those come off. And she scored another great goal. She she scored a penalty actually, but she had a couple of great attempts and hit the woodwork at one point. Um, But Arsenal responded, they levelled and then they got the winner. Um, I felt a bit sorry for Birmingham because it was the sort of game that you watched and you thought a draw would be quite fair here but for Arsenal they really needed three points they got it Shelley Kerr absolutely um, over the moon with, with, with the win especially off the back of the Liverpool game in the league they needed to get up and running again um, so it really means that Arsenal um, are really in contention now in that group along with Birmingham and then this week I go to Birmingham versus Lincoln which is sort of a key game in that group now and that's a more Continental Cup action before we get back to the league but there were so many games this week that the highlight show I do which is for um, ESPN the FAWSL review show it was absolutely packed we had an extended show this week 45 minutes and it was great to show so much women's football um, and some great goals I mean there's some brilliant juicy uh, goals to watch if you if you just want to get a bit of an appetite for the women's game and maybe you've not tried it yet uh, they show all the highlights on the FA's website and I know that I know you go there and watch them every week I absolutely do um, also have notes uh, Liverpool losing to Chelsea uh, last week as well 2-1 to Chelsea 
that one, of course, uh, coming off the back of that fantastic win against Arsenal, Liverpool perhaps uh, showing a bit of their tiredness there. And Everton ladies, they continue to do well, uh, winning 2-0 against Lincoln. Great that you mentioned that Chelsea result as well, because by beating Liverpool, it meant that just slightly they just go top of the league. Um, I mean, it was in Liverpool's hands, but that win for Chelsea (laughs) um, means that they're top of the table at the moment. Hi, this is Kirsty Gallagher and I love the Offside Rule podcast. On to topic three, a Fergie distraction. Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson retiring simply has dominated the headlines the past week. His successor, David Moyes, equally taking up plenty of column inches. So for any other club manager player, this has been the perfect time, hasn't it? To bury some bad news or to play down a story, knowing that it'll get buried in the back pages. So I asked you to choose three either hypothetical or real stories that have been released this week, but none of us would have been any the wiser. You can pick three real amusing stories, I guess, or you can go with anything made up completely. So, Natalie, we'll start with yours. This was tough, I have to say. Right, my first one, pretty boring, but I actually think James Beattie being named the Accrington Stanley manager in another week might have been a bit bigger news, but uh, it, it's not. And, uh, you know, bless him, he, he's got a big job down there at Accrington in League Two. Uh, more amusing, perhaps, and a little jokey one is that I thought maybe this was the, the week that Peter Odenwingi could have arrived at the Old Trafford car park, a misunderstanding that Manchester United had a vacant position that they needed filling. And the other one, which is sort of sport-related but not really, is that the UK border officials have seized around 90,000 towels destined for North London, uh, apparently because the German owners want to get their seats uh, saved <laughs> at Wembley. I love that. Brilliant. Hi, I'm Matt Letitia, and you're listening to The Offside Rule, three girls talking about football. And on to you next, Kate. Thanks for those, Nat. I'm going to go with this one as the real one. With all the Fergie stuff going on, we've quite missed the fact that Fulham are currently 15th in the Premier League table. That They're on 40 points at the moment, which is normally the minimum required to survive. And here they find themselves with just one game to go of the season. So they've slipped right down. I think we've missed that, haven't we, in all the Fergie moys for all? A couple of made-up stories uh, this week which have uh, spl- been splashed across the back pages or rather hidden in the back pages uh, because of all the uh, Fergie time going on. Um, Rafa Benitez, he's not been able to to secure any offers for next season at all, although his time at Chelsea has been well received. No one fancies the Spaniard, Lindsay Hooper. So quite underneath the radar, he's bought the leasehold to a tapas restaurant on the Wirral (laughs) and will be serving up patatas bravas for the new season. (laughs) Are you going to go? Should we go there? Check it out next week? Uh, Brilliant. Like that. And my next one, Joey Barton. He uh, is actually going to be fronting a campaign for goatees for men. We know that he's fond <laughs> of an unusual hairstyle, but but the good news, which has gone quite under the radar for Joey Barton, is that he is going to be the international ambassador of goatee beards. Um, okay, well, another another few hypothetical stories for me. One that I wish was true, which I'll come to. Um, but yeah, these are completely made up. So whilst Fergie has been dominating all the back pages, everyone's been talking about him retiring, David Moyes moving, Mancini being sacked, Ferdinand's England retirement, Skulls retiring, all those things we've covered. Um, what a great time for Alan Shearer to just bury the fact that he's had a hair transplant like Wayne Rooney. Mm. So when he pops up on Match of the Day next season, hair transplant... He's 
got a few things, a few bit sprouts coming through. And that'd be a great story that wouldn't have uh, surfaced this week, wouldn't it? Um, another one, which you probably wouldn't be very happy with, but whilst all this has been going on, the owners of Liverpool for some time have been thinking, we really want to cash in on the stadium and change the name, but the fans won't let us change Anfield and the press will go mad. But you know what? Fergie's in the press all the time. We'll change it to the Toys R Us stadium. There's a huge Toys R Us in Liverpool. So I'm thinking there's a potential there for them to, to marry up. And then instead of Anfield, you're going to have to call it the Toys R Us Arena. And the mascot's going to be changed to Jerry the Giraffe or what, <laughs> yeah. whatever it is that the Toys R Us... Jeffrey. Jeff, Jeffrey the Giraffe. Um, and my other one, which I just wish was true, was a story that had surfaced this week, but would be great timing for it to come out because there wouldn't be a furore about it. Nobody would uh, sort of question it. It would just be out there. It would be announced, but no one would have noticed because of all the Fergie distractions. Is that how about if if it was just announced this week that Sean Massey was going to referee in the Premier League next season? I would love to see a woman refereeing in the top flight mm. of English football, but without all the media speculation yeah. about it and all the furore that would have to happen. So it could have gone under the radar this week. She could just appear next season. People could go, what? And people be like, it was announced. It was the week that Fergie retired. Um, and I would love to see that happen. I think she's a very, very good official. Um, and I think it's time we had certainly a female uh, refereeing in the top of the English game. Twitter Topic of the Week. Well, next, we'll move on to Twitter Topic of the Week. And there has been a theme of Sir Alex Ferguson in this podcast for the obvious reasons. So we thought that we would also extend that out to you guys on Twitter at Offside Rule Pod. We asked you, all inspired by Lee Clayton, who um, just put one of his memories of playing for Fergie that uh, Gary Neville spoke about. Um, there's plenty of these on the internet at the moment. So a few of our regulars getting in touch. We'll start with Alan, who's Al Manu Man. <laughs> we, can, we can see why he was have some opinion on this. He said the best Alex Ferguson signing was definitely Eric the King Cantona. One of the memories that he has and a catalyst for everything that followed. Controversial but class. Eugene Sunter has got in touch and he said the European success that he had with Aberdeen FC, which a lot of people of course forget. Uh, he says without that he would not have got a move to Manchester United and he also says Sir Alex Ferguson, the greatest in capital letters. Uh, Stuart Dawson said my favourite quote from Sir Alex is football bloody hell sums it up beautifully. <laughs> not that he did that. Can I just say that Sir Alex Ferguson is not from Yorkshire? And that is one of my all-time favourite quotes and you've just completely massacred it. Go on, will you do it then? Football, bloody hell. <laughs> oh, actually, very good. Said after the Champions League final against Bayern Munich in uh, 1999. Oh, lovely. Christian Gunn got in touch saying Fergie's response to a ridiculous question from a reporter. Now, he did this many a time. Uh, the looks on his face, he says, is priceless. There's quite a few of those where he's just literally just stripped someone apart, hasn't he, post-match? He did it recently to Kelly Cates as well whilst her dad was at Liverpool he um he was not not the most generous in his interview with her Oh dear. Well, we didn't want to get on the end of the hairdryer moment, did we, as a mm. reporter? Uh, Dom J. Carter also said every time he appointed to his magical watch, of course, Fergie <laughs> time, I think it was permanently stuck on 93 minutes. There was a montage at the end of the Fergie era um, on Match of the Day. They just summed it up at the end and the amount of, of shots that they put in where he looked at his watch <laughs> and it just made me smile because I thought Fergie time. I'm sure Fergie time might be the one thing his <laughs> that will just continue to go on 
on um, at Manchester United. But great. Uh, lovely to have some of those responses. We haven't got time to do too many today because of so much that's been going on in this podcast. And needless to say, that continues right now with an extra special La Liga roundup courtesy of Rhiannon Jones. And this one has a very special guest. In fact, you might call him the special one. Um, Barcelona, champions in La Liga. So that's all been summed up this week. Um, but we knew that Rhiannon was going to be going down to Real Madrid's training ground. And guess what? She got to speak to Jose Mourinho there. So this is Rhiannon with her La Liga roundup. Special one. The big news reaching us in Spain is, of course, Sir Alex Ferguson's retirement. Plenty of players over here have paid tribute to Manchester United's coach, including Cristiano Ronaldo. Here with me now is Jose Mourinho. Jose, you started out as rivals, but soon became friends and have very much remained friends. What's your favourite memory of Sir Alex? I think I, I, if I have to choose, I choose the first one. Um, it was 2004. Uh, was in fact my first match as a manager in um, in English soil. It was um, Man United Porto for the Champions for the Champions League. Um, we scored in the last minute. Uh, we went through and we won that that, that competition. And it was not normal for me. It was not normal in in the culture I, I, I knew. Uh, the opposite manager uh, knocks in my dressing room door after the match when was a moment for him to be very, very disappointed uh, to knock in, in my door, to come in into the dressing room, um, to congratulate me, to invite me to go to his, to his room for, um, for a chat and for a, a glass of wine. And um, that was, was, was a point for me and I think it marked uh, all our relation after that because after that we played so many times against each other. In the next year I, I moved to England for Chelsea and uh, of course in that period in Chelsea we play dozens of times in, in every competition and after that uh, the relation went in, in that direction. doesn't matter who wins, doesn't matter who loses, uh, the respect was always there and um, I, I, if I have to choose, I choose that first episode to describe how it starts our relationship. And why will he be so greatly missed? You know, because he's unique. Uh, probably Man United is also a unique club that gave a manager conditions to 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 do the job he did. Uh, everybody knows that the beginning for him was not was not an easy beginning. Everybody knows that. Uh, um, I think it took uh, three or four years to win the first piece of, uh, of silverware, and Man United gave him conditions uh, to to. To make an incredible job, but after that he was unique, absolutely unique. Um, the number of trophies he, he got in in Man United and especially in in the English football is uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, more than 20 years, it's absolutely incredible. And yes, I think we will we will all missing, and for for me will be will be difficult to go to to Old Trafford, especially for the first time. It will be difficult to go there and to play against Man United without uh, such a mythic figure in, in, in the opposite dugout. Thank you very much for your time today. From myself and Jose Mourinho, adios. Adios.
thanks to Rhiannon Jones for our La Liga roundup. Well, that about wraps everything up for episode 27. Only two more to come. Uh, Natalie, thank you very much for filling in this week. We will be out again next week, of course, but there is a slight change. We're recording um, from the Champions League women's final at Stamford Bridge next Thursday evening. So we won't be out next Thursday. We'll be out next Friday. Um, so please take note of that. You can follow us at Offside Rule Pod. Uh, remember, you can download via SoundCloud and iTunes and we have a Facebook page as well. So we will speak to you with all things Women's Champions League final and other news, playoff reaction, all that sort of thing next week. The Offside Rule. We get it. Brought to you by a Wolves fan, a Manchester United fan and a Liverpool fan.